Christus to you. There are, out in the literature rack, there's several tracks and things you can give away. A couple special things that we have mentioned. Uh, the Billy Graham DVD, we have many of these. And so someone donated to buy these so that we could have a good um, evangelistic impact into our community. You can invite somebody to watch this with you. You can give it to them to watch. But it's outstanding. And, of course, Billy Graham passing away in the past year. He's been in the news. Most folks are familiar with him. So grab one of these and give it out um, as you um, have opportunity to. And then this here is more than a gospel track. The, the gospel is clear in it, but the Seven Wonders booklet. We put several more out there. And if you know somebody that possibly is asking questions like, why do I exist? Why is there pain in this world? Is there life after death? Um, this is an outstanding booklet to give them. And so those are resources for um, all of you to take advantage of. I'd like to ask us to bow our heads and pray one more time before we look into God's word. Father, we would come with open hearts as we just sang, understanding the incredible plan that you have for your church, for your involvement, for what we are supposed to do, and then the clear written word of God. We would ask that it would be clear today that you would allow us to not only love you more, but to serve you better for our time spent around the word even during this time. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you have had the opportunity like me to feel like you were on display from time to time. Maybe when you go into work, some people are watching you, how you act, listening to what you say, maybe watching for how you respond. As Christians, we have a different job description as we walk in this world because if we are going to be a light to individuals that are in darkness, that light clearly has to reflect something better than what we can muster on our own. It has to be something that would come from a perfect God. And so sometimes you might find yourself thinking, I'm being watched. Don't get paranoid, that's okay. God's not nervous about you being watched in this world. In fact, I would suggest to us that there are many aspects about the church that those that are outside of the church are, um, that they're attracted to. There are things that are appealing about individuals who have a faithful church life. There's a lot of good moral teaching. This is one of the advertisements that we give with our uh, children's group. This is an opportunity for your young people to learn honesty, generosity, respect, to have courage for the things that are right. There are a lot of individuals that like about churchgoers the challenge to live a benevolent life, to help the needy. We've already talked a little bit today about Operation Christmas Child, the chance to give a Christmas gift to someone who's not going to get one accompanied by the gospel. So there's no doubt that many people, who, even those outside the church that are observing, they would say, I kind of like that. Yeah, I can, I can get behind that. But... I want to suggest that there is one aspect of the church that many people will approach and they'll say, yeah, that's kind of a deal breaker for me. I just don't like that part of the church. And I would suggest to you today that it's this area of mission. Now I have to define mission in order for you to know what I think people would be against. It's a narrow-minded thinking some people would say. 
People can get on board with a lot of what you do that has to do with your faith, but when it comes to this, not accepting what other religious, that other religious beliefs are good enough. Have you come across somebody and you've had that conversation and it was pretty clear that from where you stand on your Christian faith, there are some individuals, there are many individuals that are not going to have eternal life in heaven. Well, that's pretty harsh. That's a little bit rough. And so some individuals are thinking, well, Christians are always wanting people to switch over to their faith system. And that's just not right. It's so narrow, some people will say. It's narrow to say that if you don't believe my way, then you are lost. Narrow. I want to challenge us today to not allow yourself to let that thinking permeate what you, how you approach your connection with unbelievers. And I think that you could probably win the argument even. Let me give this illustration. Imagine there's somebody that you love and you're seeing in them symptoms of a serious illness. There's a serious illness that they have and you've had it before. And this individual that you love as you observe them with this, you have an understanding of what you did to save yourself because not only is this a serious sickness, but it actually is fatal if it's not treated correctly. So two things are involved here. Number one, you have a love for that person. We can't leave that out. Number two, you have a knowledge of what they need that will save them. And then let's say that this person who you love and maybe even loves you, let's say that they are in complete denial about this. They'll refuse to go to a doctor. Some of us guys can, you know, understand that, right? I'm not going to a doctor if it's not bleeding. Let's say they refuse to go to a doctor. They refuse to get treatment. And even though you can look at every symptom that they have, and very possibly talk them into the fact that they are right or they are wrong and you are right, it could be that they simply will not take your advice, not move forward with the treatment that you know they need. Now, if you genuinely love them and this is the case, then what are you going to do? You're going to repeatedly try to convince them. You will tell them of your experience. You will tell them of what you face and how they're going to face it. I would suggest today that if you take that combination of a love for someone and the knowledge of what will help them, what will save them, and when we put them together, I want to suggest to us that at that point you are on mission. You're on mission for something. All that to bring us to our text. If you turn to John chapter 17, please. John 17 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a pew Bible in front of you there, or maybe you can find it on your device. And if you do not own a Bible, please take that pew Bible and keep it for your very own. We love for anyone who comes to Calvary to make sure they have a Bible accessible all the time. So keep that as our gift from me or for, um, from our church to you. <clears throat> now we find here in John 17 a chapter that stands out as Jesus is about to approach the cross. This is actually um, the, the chapter that I first preached from when I came to Calvary more than six and a half years ago. First time I preached, I preached from John 17. It's not the same sermon. It's gonna be different today, focusing on mission. 
But there's no doubt that when we come to John 17, there is so much that is here. I'm going to read verses 13 through 19, and then we're going to take two main points from this. So John chapter 17, starting in verse number 13. The Bible says, But now I am coming to you as these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, Jesus said. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let's stop right there. Now, we come across here one of the classic passages in the Bible on missions. Now, maybe some of you were paying attention as we were reading. Maybe some of you have taught through John 17 before. And you're thinking, I didn't see the word missionary there. In that text, I didn't find the word missions, and yet it was there, whether you know it or not. You see, we get our word mission from the Latin word missionoum, which means an act of sending or to send. Did you see that word to send there? We saw it twice in verse number 18. Here Jesus tells these, he prays to the Father, and he says not only is he on mission, and that is peppered all throughout this prayer, In John 17, it's all throughout what Jesus' mission was. But he also says, these 12 that you have given me, this is their mission. And we understand that. But if you've had opportunity to look at this high priestly prayer, you would also understand that not only is this prayer on behalf of the disciples, but it's also on behalf of those that would come after them which means you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today. So Jesus is praying for you and praying for me, and he's praying about mission. He's on mission himself. Now, earlier I mentioned that a person would be on mission if two things, remember what they were? If they loved an individual and if they knew the truth that could save them. The same two key elements apply for believers that are on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we mix together love and truth inside of us, we will have mission. If you're taking notes, I've just got two main points for us today. Number one, on mission living is a result of an encounter with God. If you are living in a way that is on mission, which all of us should, This is going to be a result of having an encounter with God. It's verse number 18 that says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them them into the world. Who was it that put Jesus on mission? It was the Father. And who is it that puts the sons and daughters of God on mission? It is the Son of God. Whether you know it or not, if you're a Christian today, you are on mission or you need to pay attention to the mission that you need to get on board with. 
want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, please. Turn back in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah in chapter 6. And we're going to find a very colorful illustration here about this idea of encountering God and the change that it will make when we do. You see, any time a person has an encounter with God, it's going to lead them to the point where their faith is not just something that will rest inside of a building. If you've had an encounter with God then your religion cannot continue to be a private matter. You see, God never pulls you in to bless you without sending you out. That is his plan. He does pull us in, and all God's people said, amen to that. Aren't you glad he pulled you in? Aren't you glad that somebody told you about forgiveness and how you can live in this world in a way that is so much bigger than yourself? God never pulls us in without sending us out. Now here in Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to see a little episode in the life of Isaiah. All right? We're going to see something that happens when he goes to church, if I can go ahead and borrow that New Testament word. He's going to worship on the Sabbath, and I think he probably had some expectations. Have you had that? Have you guys had expectations coming in today, to, to today as what you thought it would look like? Going to sing some songs, probably going to stand up here, probably going to sit down here. You have an expectation when you come to church. Now, I think Isaiah had an expectation, but something amazing happens. Let's read the first five verses of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, this is Isaiah speaking, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one was called and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, listen to his response, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now understand the picture picture here. He's coming to worship, and he gets a vision, Isaiah does. And probably as he was approaching worship that day, he probably expected that the last person he would find as he went to worship that day would be God. Some of you maybe feel that way sometimes, and yet you'll have an encounter. The Holy Spirit clearly working as the Word of God is taught or as a song is sung or as another brother or sister in Christ maybe embraces you and tells you they've been praying for you. And sometimes we have an encounter with someone who lifts us up. But very clearly here, this is nothing hidden. There's no special interpretation that is needed for Isaiah. He is traumatized because he has an encounter with God. And his response when he has this encounter with God is he is instantly shamed. 
You see, when we get near to God and understand that we cannot hide anything, all of our insecurities, they are fleshed out. That happens to us when we have an encounter with God. And so he does something that doesn't surprise us. He confesses his sins. And Isaiah says, I'm in the middle of a people that have unclean lips. And then God allows something to happen to help take care of that insecurity. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Let's stop right there. We understand what God has done for us to take our guilt away. We understand the price that was paid so that we could be seen as clean in the eyes of God the Father, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the sin of mankind. And we simply need to turn to him and ask him to save us. This is the hope that we have in salvation. Now, there's a lot going on here, and I'm going to ask you to pay attention because something happens right now. It's a little bit of a shift in the next couple verses. Because now, Isaiah has this encounter, God responds and gives him a confidence, you are clean, and then God gives a question. So understand, Isaiah hears a question that God gives out, and who will answer? Who will respond in the way that God wants one of his children to respond? So a question is being put out there, listen to it, or actually read it with me in verse number 8. There's a break in the paragraph, and it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? There's that word again. And who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. You need to understand what's going on. Isaiah is a man on mission, because what God did was he said, I'm going to ask a question, and understand this question. Okay, God says, I need somebody to go and I need them to preach to people that will, don't miss this, I need this person to preach to people who will never, 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 never respond. Who will go? And Isaiah doesn't wait out. You see, he had had an encounter with God. And even though the thing that's being asked is these people will never respond to your message, you will preach for years in vain, immediately Isaiah doesn't say, here am I, send my sister. That's not what he says. Isaiah says, here am I, Lord, send me. Why? Because he had had an encounter with God. He was not only healed on the inside, but he was a man on mission. Why? Because if you have an encounter with God, if God has changed your life, you will have some kind of call of being sent in some way. Doesn't mean that this church becomes vacant on Sundays because everybody went to a foreign land, but it does mean there will be some kind of a call of making sure that people hear the gospel. 
being sent on your life. So number one, on mission living is a result of an encounter with God. Number two, on mission living always produces joy. About time you got to something a little more palatable, Jeremy. That's good stuff. On mission living gives me joy. Let's explore that a little bit more, shall we? Yeah, let's do that. We have an example in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and turn back to John 17, if you would. We have an example in the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus has been sent, and this, is, this, is, this first statement's enough. Jesus has been sent from heaven down to earth. So the Lord of all things, the creator of all things, in beautiful, perfect heaven, becomes one of man. He's still perfect, he's still God, but he's also 100% man. And he comes down to earth, born in a humble manner. And not only that, but he allows himself to be crucified at the hands of the creation. Everything that we see in John 17 is about his mission. Look back at verse 13 with me. It says, but now I am coming to you So Jesus is coming to the Heavenly Father. He's about to finish the work in this world. I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. Why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. There's a whole lot going on here. Let me focus in on those two words, these things. When Jesus praying to the Father, and he says these things, what is he talking about? They are all things that had to do with his mission. We find it referenced in verse number four where it says, I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. We find it referenced in verse number six where he prays, I have manifested or revealed your name. And then in verse 13, I'm about to die, I'm about to complete this work and I'm coming to you. Jesus' mission was this. And maybe, maybe you're here today and you're hearing this for the first time. Perhaps you do not have an understanding of why he came. You kind of like Christmas. I can get behind Christmas. I like that. Love the music, love the food, love the gifts. Easter, well, that's fun too. But somebody's always talking about death when we get to Easter. Can you get behind that? What is the mission that Jesus had in mind? Because... You and I, as sinful men, had substituted ourselves in God's place. Because we wanted to be preeminent in our own life. Because we wanted to have all things pointing to ourselves for glory. Because we substituted ourselves for God, God had to put himself in man's place and substitute himself to take the punishment for mankind. Since we took upon ourselves things that only God deserves, that is exactly the mission of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did. He took upon himself the iniquities of the world. And what's beautiful is this. Are you ready for this? It was his joy to do so. Don't miss this. It was not just his joy after it was all done. And he got to go to be at the right hand of the Father. That wasn't just his joy. When Jesus Christ looked ahead at this, it was his joy. I'm not saying it was easy. 
I'm not forgetting about the prayer where he said, Father, take this cup from me if you can. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm not saying that it was easy. I'm just saying that it was his joy. And you need to remember that because if you're going to answer the call to mission, it might be hard. It might involve sacrifice and pain. But if you can look past and understand that that is your joy, the whole thing collectively, I think one of the best verses that we find in the New Testament that speaks of how Jesus understood this it's what the bible reveals to us anyway of the understanding of god the son is hebrews 12 2 i'm going to read it for you in hebrews 12 2 it says looking to jesus the founder the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So understand this, on mission living always results in joy. In this prayer, God the Son prays to God the Father, and he talks about the joy that he has, and he prays that these followers, these 12, and you and I as well, that we would understand the joy Jesus saw this mission before him and all that it would entail, and he received joy in the mission. This is what we find in verse 13 of John 17. I'm telling, I'm telling these followers of the joy that I have so that they can have the same joy as they follow in their mission. Have you ever considered the fact that perhaps you don't have the joy that you want to have in this world because you don't have a mission for God? You see, we live in a day where even the message has changed from 50 years ago. About 50 years ago, there was a strong push in our country for a certain world view. This was a very man-centered world view. Many of you have missed the fact that there is a tight link between being on mission for God and joy in your life, obedient to however God calls you to be sent. Children understand this, don't they? If you have opportunity to maybe read a book to a child or tell them a story, it is common that kids want to hear a story that is kind of bigger than life, right? We use the word epic sometimes, life or death, save the world. Here's the hero. Here's this story. It's, it's, it's so big. And kids love hearing those stories. And even we adults love hearing those stories. In fact, kids understand this idea that on mission will lead you to joy better than we do because they do grow out of a certain level of it. Kids do. All right, they get a little bit cynical. They get real in this world and they lose a little bit of that idea of having something that's bigger than life. They will oftentimes tie it to their occupation. If you ask a child when they're young, ask a seven-year-old sometime, what do you want to be when you grow up? And what are some common answers? You'll see costumes around Halloween even sometimes. I want to be a fireman. I want to save people. I want to be an astronaut and go. Walk on the moon. 
Ask a seven-year-old, what do you want to be when you grow up? You'll never hear them say, oh, I'll probably work in an office somewhere. You'll, you'll, you'll never hear them say that. I'm probably going to do data entry, push paper for about 30 years, and then I'll retire. You'll never hear them say that because they understand that there is joy tied to mission. A few generations ago, America adopted a worldview that said all truth is relative. You see, it used to be when parents would teach their kids, they would say something like this, well, you do this because you're a man. That's just the way it is. No, you act this way, you do this because you're a woman. No, you're going to move forward and you're going to do this because of patriotism. You're going to do this because you're a citizen. And here's what that meant. It meant there are some causes, this is going to be hard for so many to hear, not for some of you that grew up with that theory, but for some, it's going to be new to some people. There are some causes that are higher than your own personal needs and comfort. Shocker, right? This used to be accepted. There are some causes that are more important than your own personal comfort. There's family. That's more important than your own personal comfort and need. There's patriotism. There is morality. And there is God. These are all more important than your own needs. But our country bought into the philosophy that there is nothing more important than my own personal fulfillment. And very soon... We were in a day where it was just assumed that every adult carried with them a worldview that says there is nothing more important than my own individual happiness. And here's what I need you to hear about that. That is the enemy of mission living. If everything that you do has in the end something to bring you joy and happiness if that's what drives all the decisions of your life, that destroys mission living and the church must reject this. And I can, I mean, it's not a hard argument to win. What is there worth living for if there's not a higher cause? What is there worth dying for? If I have to deny my happiness and nothing is worth it to me, that is going to be a shallow life. If there is no higher cause than my joy, then there is nothing for me to live for or to die for or have mission for. And if we do not have mission in life, we will not get this joy that God has told us comes to those who are faithful. Something that is real is bigger than you and me. Many of you have lost this. But some of you, some of you can point back to a time when there was something tangible or something that you had in your mind that would be nice and you can recall very specifically a time when that was sacrificed on your part for something for God. We are blessed. We are blessed to live in a day where God is involved but that we can choose to be involved in well and it's this beautiful partnership that is given to us for the joy that is set before you. And that's what Christ prays here. Help them to see the possible joy, which might mean they get laughed at, which might mean they sacrifice something. Now, take that word sacrifice and don't rush past it because some people think the word sacrifice means something that it really doesn't mean. 
lot of us can give up some things without really affecting our life too much. But to make a difference in something that we thought might be nice or bring happiness for the cause of Christ, that is something that is special. All right, what can we do with this? This will be really quick. What can we do with this time around God's word and with this prayer today? Well, we need to deny ourselves for a higher cause. You and I need to deny ourselves, And you can define that as you want. I can't define it for you because I might not understand what's a denial for you. Three different ways that we can deny ourselves. Number one is to go. I don't want everybody to go. I don't like preaching to an empty room. That's no fun at all. But you might have an opportunity to go. It might be going in your workplace. It might be going in a specific time to give someone the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might mean selling everything and going and serving as a missionary somewhere for the rest of your life. Deny yourself. We can also give. We can all do this. We can give something. There are different things that we can give, some in a way that's not much of a sacrifice at all. And if that's where you're starting, that's cool. Just start somewhere. But what God does in his patience is he allows us to build to the point where we're giving and someone else might even observe and say, how in the world could you possibly give that much or live without this? And you won't think of it that way at all. You know how you'll think of it? As the joy that is set before you. You won't think, oh dear, I didn't have. And you fill in the blank. You're going to think because of this Look at what might last for eternity. And then also pray. Be praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray for those that are serving on the mission field. Pray for those that would give. Pray for those that would go. These are things that God has given us and they all point us to on-mission living. Let me ask you this. Do you have a love for individuals that are outside the body of Christ? Now, don't rush, don't rush past that. Don't answer right now. Because if you have the truth that can save them, and if you have a love for them, there's going to be mission involved there. If you don't have mission involved, then one of those things might be lacking. Or perhaps you've just, you know, grown a little bit cold. You used to be on fire in this way, and now you're not. We, as a church family, love to join together, love to be a part of worship, an expression of God's love, and instruction, and fellowship. But understand that we're, do, we're doing these things in this present world, and we're doing them for something that will last, last for all eternity. And can I ask you just to do some evaluation today to look at yourself. This is why God has given you a church, so that you can be used, so that you can go out. His plan is perfect, and His plan does involve you if you know him as your God today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is oftentimes a feeling of inadequacy when we talk about mission, when we talk about evangelism. And I'm the first one to raise my hand and feel like I'm falling short, know that I'm falling short. But God, I thank you that the Holy Spirit within does not allow that to continue. There will be a spark that will come maybe someone that's not a follower of Christ that will come across my mind or one of the individuals hearing this message's mind and the love will come and they'll say, what can I do? 
Sometimes it just starts by saying, God, would you send someone along to give that person the gospel? And it can go so far as to us giving them some literature about the gospel or to praying for them or to presenting them with this clear plan that you have given for how man can know forgiveness. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Ron to play through a stanza on the piano. This is a chance for you to pray. Two directions that I would point to you to for prayer. One is if you, if God's speaking to you about on mission living, doing something for him, just stop and talk to God about that. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and then be faithful to do your part. The second thing you might pray about is maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. He died on the cross for your sins. He became sin so that you wouldn't have to take that punishment, but we need to turn to him and ask for forgiveness. You might whisper that prayer even right now while the piano plays.